may be seated. We're going to be doing three different psalms this morning, and they're all connected with each other. We're going to be doing Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142. So Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142. Now, we did part of 34 last week, so we're going to hit the verses that we didn't hit. Now, these are what are called the cave psalms. These are the psalms that David wrote that when he was in the cave. Now, a little bit of background, if you take a look at Psalm 34, a psalm of David, verse 1, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away when he departed. So let's get a little bit of background on this, then we'll come back and talk about what this means. Go with me now to 1 Samuel 21, please. 1 Samuel 21. David's reign had a lot of difficulties. His own son Absalom rebelled against him and David was forced to flee. The king at the time, Saul, when David was anointed king, tried to kill him. So David was on the run a good chunk of his life when it comes to stuff. And he was hiding in caves, literally for his life. And you see this going on here. What's going on in 1 Samuel 21 is this. is the idea that Saul was trying to kill David and David was on the run. So David flees. This is where it gets interesting. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day before Saul and went to Achash, the king of Gath. The king of Gath. He's now in Philistine territory. Now, this is not the teaching point, but I'm just going to throw out a couple of things there. When life gets tough, don't run to the enemy. Please don't run to the enemy. Here he is fleeing to the Philistines. And the servants of Achash said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him and one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Basically, Achish's wise counselors come to him and say, this is the guy that's Israel's chief military man. This is their military hero. And you're allowing him to come stay with us, our enemy? Verse 12, now David took these words to heart. And he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Please note he's afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. He's not afraid of the Lord. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achash said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's our background now, please. Back to Psalm 34. He ran to the cave out of fear. Now here's the deal. You are going to find yourself in a cave at one time or another. You're going to be in a spiritual cave. You are. Now, what is going to put you in that cave? I don't know. You may run to that cave out of fear. You run to that cave out of flight. You may run to that cave out of hiding. You may run because you're in sin. You don't want anybody to know, so you go hide in a cave. You may go run to that cave out of accountability. You don't want to be accountable to the church, to anybody. You may have a fear of health, a fear of finances, a fear of life, so you run to the cave. You may be depressed. You may be discouraged. And you want to be in the darkness of the cave, so you go there. You can't even figure out why, but you just want to go in a cave. We got a little saying that we use at the Irvin House saying, you're in a mood. It's a very general term. You're just in a mood. You just want to go be in the cave. You may be in the cave because your faith has grown cold. And you don't want to be around people that love the Lord because it makes you feel convicted. There's multiple reasons why you will go to a cave. The reality is you will find yourself in a cave at one time or another for multiple different reasons. All of us have been in a cave. All of us will go to a cave. Some of you may be in a cave right now. Some of you may have a loved one that is in a cave. So what are you going to do? 
Let's take a look at this. The first thing you're going to do when you find yourself in the cave is Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The first thing you will do is praise. You will praise. Yes, in the midst of the cave of fear, health, finances, in the cave of depression and discouragement, in the cave of just being in a move, you will praise. You will praise. Because take a look here. Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You will magnify the Lord. You will magnify God and not your problems. Because this is one of the key things you see when people are in a cave. They want to magnify their problems, not the Lord. That's what they want. They want to focus on everything that is wrong. You know these people. When you go up and ask them, hey, how are you doing? You're afraid to ask the question. Because you know what they're going to say. They're going to tell you everything that's wrong. They're going to tell you how they have the worst job in the world, the worst health in the world, the worst marriage in the world, the worst everything in the world. They're going to tell you everything wrong in their life, and they're going to magnify their problems and not the Lord. And that's why in Psalm 34, 3, when you're in a cave, praise God and learn to verse 3, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Don't magnify your problems, magnify the Lord. I like what John Piper says about this. He goes, there's two kinds of magnifying. There's microscopes magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it is, microscope. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. When David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he does not mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I will make a big God to begin to look as big as he really is. That's what magnifying does. It takes how big God is and you really see how big he is. I've told you many times before, I love astronomy. I love looking at the planets. I love looking at these things. When you look at Jupiter, this is this tiny little dot. All of a sudden you see moons around it. When you look at Saturn, all of a sudden you see rings. You see that smudge of light and you look at it and all of a sudden you realize that's another galaxy. I am just magnifying something that's already huge. And when you're in the cave, learn to praise, learn to magnify your God and not your problems. That's the first thing we need to see about the cave. Next one, Psalm 57, 1. Like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 34, 57, 142. And you're for like any typical Christian, you have six months of bulletins stacked in front of your Bible. So just put them in different strategic locations there. Psalm 34, 57, 142. So our first point is praise while in the cave. Look at our next one. Psalm 57, verse 1. To the chief musician set to do not destroy, a victim of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. The next thing I'm going to do in the cave is trust. I'm going to trust the Lord. Think of all the songs we sing. He's a good, good father. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to start at this moment of darkness, doubt all the promises of God that have been proven over thousands and thousands of years. I'm not going to start to doubt the faithfulness of God. I'm not going to go look in my Bible and say, oh, wait a second, did they remove Romans 8.28 today? Does he still work good in all things? Is his mercy still new every morning? I'm going to trust all of his promises in faith when I'm in the middle of the cave. What else am I going to do in the middle of the cave? Psalm 142, verse 1. A contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. What else am I going to do in the cave? I'm going to cry. I'm going to acknowledge that this is a difficult season, and I will cry out to the Lord. Psalm 57 verse 2 says this, I will cry out to God most high. 
to God who performs all my things for me. I've quoted many times before, I love Charles Spurgeon, quote on crying. It's the most primitive of all sounds we make. We just cry out to the Lord. But this is what's important about crying out to the Lord. Please look in Psalm 142. Verse 2 is vitally important. So verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. Who do you complain to? Him. Who do you declare your trouble to? Him. Not online. Not to your friends. Not on Facebook. Not to your spouse. You take it to Him. This is vitally important. You pour out your complaint to Him. Does this mean you can't go to brothers and sisters in the Christ and ask for prayer and encouragement? No, I'm not saying that. Brothers go to brothers, sisters go to sisters. What I'm saying is this, though. Your primary response, your first response is to take it to Him. If you are in a position, when you're in a cave, your first response is to call some other human up or to post something online or something like that, you're completely misunderstanding. When you're in the darkness of the cave, your primary thing is you pour your complaint out before Him. You take all your troubles to Him. So we have to train ourselves to go to the great shepherd first who cares for his sheep. Number two, if you are the person that people contact you when they're in the cave... You have to train yourself to train them to go to Him. Because what happens is this. We pour out our complaint to each other rather than the Lord. And I used to think I was the world's greatest pastor when it came to this. When I first took over 20 years ago, people would call up. And there would be these long conversations, 45 minutes, an hour. And at the end, they would stop and they would just sigh. And they would say, oh, pastor, I feel so much better now. I would say, good, let's pray. And then I realized years later, no ground was ever gained. Because they may call back an hour later. They may call back the next day and we will rehash the whole thing again and again and again. They were pouring out their complaint to me. They were declaring their trouble to me. They weren't taking it to the Lord. And what I need to do is train people to say, no, you need to take it to the Lord. I Listen, I acknowledge you're hurting and I pray for you and I encourage you and I will give you scriptures and I will teach you and train you to praise Him. But when you're in the cave... No human being can pull you out of it. It is between you and the Lord. And we need to learn to cry out to Him. Please don't miss here what I'm saying. This does not mean you can't contact the body of Christ for encouragement. That is a biblical concept. But we should go to the shepherd first. We should let Him be the one who heals our soul. He is the one. word cry is used seven different times in Psalm 34, 57, and 142. Acknowledge that there's crying in a cave, but yet we pour our complaint out to him. What else do we do while we're in this cave? Take a look here at Psalm 57. What else do we do in the cave? Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Shadow. When you are in the shadow of something, you're close to them. It's a little saying we like to use that, hey... Looks like you have a shadow today. So that idea of being close. So if I'm in the shadow of God's wings, I'm really, really close to him. So when I'm in a cave, I need to remember that I need to be as close to him as I possibly can. Because the reality is, there's no one else but him. No one else but him. Psalm 142 talks about this as well. In verse 4, it says, Look on my right hand and see, for there's no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. When you're in a cave, you realize it's just you and the Lord. 
I looked on my right hand and see, for there was no one who acknowledges me. That's that discouragement of being in a cave. Do you realize no one fully grasps or understands? Do you realize the darkness that you're sometimes battling yourself? And then that's where you stop and you realize, I need to stay close to the Lord. I need to stay in His shadow. Because He's the one that's going to get me through this. Once again, we acknowledge that it's hard. Take a look at Psalm 57. Caves are hard. Look at verse 4. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Do you feel like sometimes you lie among lions? Everybody's out to get you. Do you feel like every word is against you? Teeth are like spears and arrows and tongues are sharp swords? What are you supposed to do when you're in the cave and everything is out to get you? Verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Look what he does in the cave. He takes it right back to praise. He magnifies God. He magnifies God, not his problems while he's in the cave. He takes it right back to praise. He understands it's hard though. Verse 6, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. In the midst of it, they have themselves have fallen. Selah. He acknowledges that it's hard, but he always magnifies God through praise. And he stops and he says, Lord, it's all you. So let's just rewind here a little bit before we get to some of our concluding thoughts, which are going to take another half hour, but we're getting there. When you're in a cave, the first thing you see is praise. Magnify your God, not your problems. The second thing you see is trusting. Trusting his faithfulness and his goodness, even when it's dark. You see the acknowledgement that it's difficult. We do cry out to the Lord. We give our complaint to him. We give our troubles to him. We stay close in the shadow. We acknowledge it's hard, but we always focus on praise. But now here, what happens when you're in the cave, you know you're in the cave, and you can't get out of the cave? Look at verse 8, Psalm 57. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. We need to wake up. That's what we need to do. We need to wake up. I like what Paul wrote in Romans 13. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. We need to wake up. You know, it doesn't say it exactly, but when you read through the Bible, you see these people getting into what I call the sleep of depression. They just want to sleep. They just want to sleep in the cave. That's all they want to do. And if you look how God responds to these people, he's always telling them, wake up or rise up, get up. Now the reality is, if you've ever been in that darkness of a cave in life, You don't want somebody coming in saying, get up. That's really about the best advice you can give. Get up in the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. Wake up and realize. Look at these declaration of faith that David starts in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. Psalm 57, 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. I'm going to do it, Lord. My my heart is established in you. I know it's dark. I know it's discouraging, but I praise you. Verse 9. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. I will do this publicly, Lord. 10. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Lord, your mercy is bigger than the heavens. Your truth is bigger than the clouds. How big is your God? Magnify your God, not your problems. 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Lord, look how big you are. Let me focus on how big my Savior is and not how bad the situation is. So when I'm in a cave, I will praise, I will trust, I will cry out, I will stay close, I will acknowledge it's hard. 
And I will wake up and say, Lord, this is not how I want to be. And I'm going to realize how big you are. Now, let's just get down to the nuts and bolts of this. The reality is this. Some people like caves. They don't want to come out. They like caves. They like the attention they get out of caves. They like being in a cave and everybody coming to their cave and popping their head in their cave and saying, are you okay? You doing okay in there? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's an okay day. Okay. Well, if you need anything, I'll be right outside this cave to help you. They love the attention of being in a cave. And the reality is some of us love giving attention to people that are in caves. And we say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to camp right outside your cave. And if you ever pop your head out, I'll just give you the biggest hug you've ever seen. And then you can go right back in your cave and I'll wait for you again. Guys, we're more than conquerors in Christ. We acknowledge that there's difficult seasons. We acknowledge that there'll be moments and seasons in a cave. But we cannot stay there. And we can't let people stay there. We need to wake up and realize that some people like being in caves and the attention they get. And what happens is this. The attention they get from man is more valuable than what they would get from God. Oswald Chambers says this. No sin is worse than the sin of self-pity. Because it removes God from the throne of our lives. Replacing him with our own self-interest. It causes us to open our mouths only to complain. That's what self-pity does. You doing okay? Oh man, it's rough. And we just want to stay in the cave. Now here's the deal. How do you get somebody out of a cave? You can't. I don't have all the answers, but I've been doing this for 20 years. And people come out of the cave when they want to come out of a cave between them and the Lord. Oh, man, I have tried pulling people out of caves. I've tried pushing people out of caves. Have you ever had a dog that won't come out of its doghouse so you set a treat just far enough that they have to stick their head out? I've stuck treats out in front of people. They don't want to come out of their cave. Now, they'll come out for the right reason. I've seen people that live in caves, but they'll come out every year of their cave for a vacation. But then they'll go right back in the cave when the vacation's over. Some people come out of their cave for holidays. Some people purposely go in their cave for holidays. Some people like this freedom of, oh, I want to be in the cave for a while, so if you need me, you come to me. Because my God's not big enough to come out of the cave. And then for other people, it's like, I'm ready to come out of the cave for a while, so I'll enjoy life, but but now I want to go back in my cave. Folks, let me repeat again. There are seasons of being in cave. That's a biblical concept, but that's not a place we can keep ourselves and stay. Be careful of the sin of self-pity. Be careful of the attention that we get from being in caves, making us feel important. And be careful of giving attention to the people that are in caves that don't want to come out. Let me show you an example of this. Can you go with me to 1 Kings 21? 1 Kings 21. First Kings 21 is an interesting story here of a king by the name of Ahab. Ahab is known as one of the worst kings, evil kings that Israel ever had. And he was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel that was arguably one of the worst women that have ever existed. So you have quite the combo here of Ahab and Jezebel. But what happens is this, Ahab messes up in 1 Kings chapter 20. And what has happened is this, that a prophet is sent to him basically saying, you're not obeying God, since you're not obeying God, you're done now. So look at 1 Kings 20. 
verse 42. This, then he said to him, this is the prophet speaking to Ahab. Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I have appointed to utter destruction. Therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel, Ahab, went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. So that sets the scene. Ahab's already depressed. He's already discouraged. He wants to go to the cave. Verse 1 of chapter 21. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So you have this guy Naboth that has a vineyard right beside the king. Two. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, said, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Because everybody knows when you're pressed and discouraged, a vegetable garden is what brings you out of darkness. Because it is near next to my house. And for you, I will give you a vineyard better than that. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Verse 3. He's not allowed legally to do this according to the law. The law says that you can only do property exchanges between people in the same tribe. So therefore, tribe of Reuben is not supposed to be selling land to the tribe of Judah. Because what happens is God says, I gave the inheritance to Reuben. Reuben, it's got to stay with you guys. Judah, it's got to stay with you guys. So Naboth is basically saying, Ahab, I can't do this. So verse 4, Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. This is the king of Israel having a little pity party. Boy, we still do this, don't we? When you see it from the outside, it's so toddlerish, childish. Just had something happen last night. One of the twins, there'll be three here in just on, on just a few days, actually. And she was taking stones and she was dropping them down one of the drainage things beside the house. So I, I looked at her and I said, Victoria, don't don't do that. So I turned my back and guess what she did? She took more stones, dropped them down. So I went over to her, didn't raise my voice, didn't do anything. Got down on her level, looked her in the eye and said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to drop stones down there. Daddy said no. It's no. She went over to the outside bench, laid herself flat out on it, covered her hands up in her face, and she just went into the fetal position and just completely stopped life. Good golly, girls. Seriously. If that was one of the boys, he'd be like, well, Dad, can I throw stones at your, my brothers? Sure, go throw stones at your brothers. Just don't put them down the drain. They would have just found something else to do with stones. She just stops. The world has ended because she was told she can't put stones down the drain. Ahab is a toddler. I already got in trouble with God and now I can't get the vineyard that I want. I'm just going to go lay on my bed. Boy, do we not still do this as adults? I'm just going to go in my cave sullen and displeased and depressed and I'm not going to eat because why? Life has disappointed me and I've not gotten what I wanted. I don't want to magnify God at this moment. I want to magnify my problems. I want people to show up at my bed in my cave and just tell me how bad they feel for me and how rough my life is. And you know what? If I was in your position, I don't even know how I could go on. Do you realize how that not only invigorates some people when you look at them and say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how, oh, I know, because I know your life is awful. I don't know how you do it. And what happens is we invigorate those people in caves by giving them all that. Or instead of coming to them and knocking on the cave and saying, hey, I acknowledge you're hurting. And I pray for you because I weep with those who weep. But if you could come to the edge of the cave, can we talk about how big God is? Can we magnify God together? Because that's what's going to get you out of this. 
It's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard being that person on the outside trying to tell the person inside, come out. I know because I've also been in the cave where you just want to get deeper and darker into it. But that's what I see David here in Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142. What I see him doing is saying, I can't stay in the cave. I can't magnify my problems. I got to magnify the Lord. That's what I see him doing. I have to keep such a focus on the Lord that I have to be careful of the sin of self-pity because it's going to bring me down. This is what I want to finish on. Can you go with me to Psalm 40 and then Psalm 34 and we're done. I mentioned to you earlier in the 20 plus years I've been doing this, I've never been able to get somebody out of a cave. I mean, I pushed them out for a while. They go right back. I pulled them out. They go right back. I've lured them out. Hey, why don't you come with me to church and afterwards we'll go get ice cream? Like ice cream from Dairy Queen or like ice cream from McDonald's? What would you like? I'd rather like, okay, ice cream for Dairy Queen then, okay? Just come with me to church for one hour and a half and I'll take you to Dairy Queen. I'll lure them out of the cave for a while. How do you get out of the cave then? Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust the Lord. How do you come out of the cave? Because one, verse one, God hears your cry. And verse two, he brings you out of the pit. It's between you and him. If you this morning think that you're capable of pulling someone out of a cave, you're completely misunderstanding everything we're teaching. Be at the edge of the cave. Yell into the cave for them. Encourage them. Give them scriptures. But ultimately realize they will come out of that pit when between them and the Lord they decide that they're ready to come out and the Lord pulls them out. And when they come out of the cave, this is the key. When you come out of the cave, you have to respond to life differently. Verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. If you come out of the cave and it's just the same thing all over again, you might as well just go right back in. You're going to find something to complain about. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Listen, if you are a person that is susceptible to going in caves, you need to realize you have to have a new mindset on life on how good God is and magnify your God and not your problems. If you know you're susceptible to this, confess the sin of self-pity. Repent of it and say, Lord, I want to be brought out of the pit and say, Lord, I'm going to just praise you through the storm. I acknowledge it hurts, but I'm going to praise you. And if you are the personality that feels like you'd like to go into other people's caves and pull them out, acknowledge the fact that this is between them and the Lord. And the most you can do is say, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to praise the Lord for how good he is. And I'm going to give you scriptures and verses. But ultimately, he has to pull you out of the pit because this is between you and him. So what would I say to those that are in caves? Let's finish with this. Psalm 34. I would say to those in caves, how about this? No more pity parties. No more woe is me. No more I want to live in a cave, I want to live in a pit. Your God is too big for this. Magnify your Lord. Now, if if they're not saved, then they need to have the hope of Jesus Christ. But if they are saved, your God's too big to live in a cave. Taste and see how good your God is. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. This is so important. It's repeated again in 1 Peter 2. It's repeated again in Hebrews 6. Taste and see. Dawn and I used to go down to Atlanta a lot before kids. And there's this area in Atlanta called Five Points. 
where all the uh, MARTA and all the train things came together, and it was like this little shopping mall, and it was just a lot of fun. And if you would go during lunchtime at Five Points, you could go to the food court, and as you walk in the food court, they'd just start yelling at you. They have samples they want you to try. And you could make a circle in the food court and probably walk away full. Because they're all handing out something on a little toothpick. What is it? It's an appetizer. Try this. Taste and see that what we're selling is good. Then we hope that you come back for the full meal. I'm telling you right now, for those that are in a cave right now, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts him. Take the appetizer that God gives you, and when you go for the full course with the Lord, you will not be disappointed. For those that are ministering to people in caves, let the person in the cave taste and see that the Lord is good. Show them, magnify how good your God is, then hope that they want it. I like what John Piper says about this. He says, Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, to you who say you have never tasted the glory of God, I say you have tasted many of its appetizers. He goes, have you ever looked up at the sky? Have you ever been hugged? Have you ever sat in front of a warm fire? You say you haven't tasted God's glory. I said, I say you've tasted the appetizers. Go on to the meal. Go on to God himself. You have seen the shadows. Look at the substance. If you want the most concentrated display of the glory of God, look at Jesus in the Gospels and look especially at the cross. This will focus your eyes and tune your heart and waken your taste buds that you will see and hear and taste the glory of the true God everywhere. This is what you are made for. I plead with you, don't throw your life away on shadows. God made you to see and savor his glory. Pursue that with all your heart and above all else. You have tasted the appetizers. Now go on to the full banquet. Boy, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come out of the cave. Magnify the Lord and see. Let's just remind ourselves. What did David do when he was in a cave? First thing he did was praise. Second thing he did was trust. He also cried out his complaints to the Lord. He stayed close in the shadows. He acknowledged that life is hard, but went right back to praise. And he said, I need to wake up. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, if you've already determined that this is going to be the worst day of your life, because you still have the same job, the same house, the same spouse, the same everything, you're not ready to come out of the cave yet. It's time for the new song. Psalm 40, he will put a new song in your mouth to stop and say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done with the pity parties. I'm done with the woe is me. I don't want to live in a cave anymore. You're too big for me to live in a cave and I will magnify my God and I will not magnify my problems. I will taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we will do. Can we stand for prayer, please? Lord, you are good and do good. For those that are in a cave right now, I pray that they will taste and see that you are good. For those that are ministering to people in a cave right now, I pray that they would magnify the goodness of God so that your glory would shine in the darkness of that cave. For those that are in a cave right now, we acknowledge that it is difficult and we pray for them and our heart goes out to them. And prayer, Lord, that I pray that you would bring them out of the pit. Lord, when we go into a cave in a season of life, let our stay there be short. Let it be something we learn from for you and your glory and your name. Amen. You may be seated. In way of announcements, just want to let you know the new Our Daily Breads are in.
We have the large scale version. We also have the smaller scale version back there. If you need one, if you're watching on the live stream, we can get one sent to you. Just let us know. Please note the big thing coming up here is Vacation Bible School. It is different this year. It's a mix of online and face-to-face. Videos will be posted on Monday morning starting the first full week of July. And you as a family then can watch that and participate from home. There will also be face-to-face Wednesdays starting the first week of July from 6 to 6.50. 6 to 6.50. We're trying to be as blameless as we can with the guidelines given to us. Um, We're also working on getting a plan set up to start having face-to-face Wednesday services again. So keep that posted. Uh, Hopefully that's coming sooner rather than later. And we're working on a plan for child care, which is taking a little bit more time. Prayers appreciated for that as well. You can register for Vacation Bible School on the church Facebook page, website. Participate online. You can come participate face-to-face. Still live streaming Wednesdays until then. And obviously live streaming Sundays at 1030 as well. You guys have a good week. God bless. Go out and represent Jesus and all you do and say. Thanks for coming this morning, guys.